Oh, yeah. This is Nick Flanagan Weekly. I am your titular host. That's right. Nick. Oh, boy. Here I am, Toronto Island, loving, living, liking, looking. Just having a nice time. And today, I'm extra happy because I get to introduce you I get to introduce, I get to record the intro for an interview I did a few days ago with uh, my buddy and just one of my faves. I just think she's such a cool musician. She does really great music. Her voice is really great. She has like an ethereal but very, very present quality to her music. She's gritty. She's dreamlike. She's a lot of different things. Jennifer Castle that's who I'm talking about. She's also performed under the uh, name Castle Music. And uh, actually, in talking to her, I realized she had done what I am doing now. She'd gone and stayed at Gibraltar Point, Point, Artscape Gibraltar Point on Toronto Island for like three months in the winter. And here I am in November, and I'm here for a month and maybe longer if you will support me on Patreon or Kofi. <laughs> But Jennifer has a wonderful new album on Fix Records. It's called Monarch Season. Uh, go to jennifercastlemusic.com, and you can uh, find a way to the album. Listen to it on Spotify. Listen to it wherever. But I'm just saying she can't perform live right now. So try and find a way to listen to the album so the money goes directly to her because she really deserves it. She's a mom. She's a she's a musician. She's she's really just just a special person, um, and I really got to spend a lot of time with her because my friend, who I mentioned on the podcast a lot, Davida Nemiroff, um, sometimes Jenny and I would like be be staying at Davida's place uh, around the same time, so we'd sit in the sun and talk about what it's like to be not in Toronto because <laughs> we're both from here, as you'll learn. In the interview, we talk a lot about her origins, uh, about songwriting, about lyric writing, uh, her her dreams of poetry, lots of other stuff. Uh, it was a really long interview, so we actually cut it down a bit. Um, and maybe someday the cutting room floor parts of it will be available for as a special bonus content. We'll also be playing a couple of her songs, and be sure to check out Monarch Season and uh, Pink City and all of her other albums. She's got a lot of albums. And um, support her. What can I say? Support all kinds of different musicians. But uh, Jennifer is a personal personal favorite. So um, what can I say? Here's my talk with her. Check out Jennifer Castle. Hello. 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 Can you see me? I can see you. Can you see me? Is it too early for you? Is it too early for it's me? Too early for you. <laughs> it's too early. Hang on, let me get better. 12, 1226 p.m. Too early. <laughs> um, not too early for you, right? No, I've been up. I've been up. What's Let's just put it that way? Have you always been? In, I don't know. I'm not trying to interview. Right? You, what? I'm trying to like 
Is it too dark? I'm trying to change the shade. Um, Do you want it lighter? The uh, that's perfect. That's perfect. Okay. Um, I am trying to make sure my internet is good. Is my internet good? Are you? Am I coming through okay? Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah, you look great. Well, thanks. You look great. You look well. The pandemic is so oh, kind to artists. <laughs> We're just so well rested now. <laughs> Should I call myself an artist? That is our artist cubable. I know pandemic was kind to what we would refer to as artists then, but are we still those people? Well, now it's and the creative class. We're in the creative class. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Creative class of 2020. What? Let me turn off my phone, which is just you telling me that you're in the meeting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry, I was so late. Oh, forget about it. I, I had to do forget about a, it. a pre, I do this live stream on Tuesdays with these comedians from our uh, second home of Los Angeles. And- uh, Oh my God, yeah. From where we really connected. <laughs> I guess, yeah. I feel like, didn't we connect I mean, at the we've Polaris? Been, we've been connected long. Yeah, but no, you're right. We yeah. got to like sit around and have tea in the same home where we were both staying. Yeah. Uh, in yes in los angeles and that was something we'd never gotten to do yeah i wish our our um two respective uh, i wish our bands had somehow been able to tour together in a palatable way it'd be cool (laughs) it would have been cool you know remember that touring kind of like going in the van i mean my last touring situation was probably 2010 or something so Oh, no, that's not true. I did some comedy touring, but that's like fun. It just feels more like you're traveling salesman when you do that, you know? I feel like that too, as a folk musician, especially when I tour solo, I feel like like I'm, I should have a little suitcase beside me and really try to sell you like a vacuum or something. (laughs) Like... You should I have don't feel two guitar cases valuable. A vacuum. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, you don't feel like a valuable. You are. You are valuable. You are heard. You are heard. Anyway, yes, you are heard. How many <laughs> listens you're on Spotify? Heard. You're heard to me too. You're Thank heard you. to me too. I I get basically like a large, like a a mid-sized college class worth of listens per episode of this podcast. Oh, you're killing it. Mm. You're killing it. We got our SoCan checks today. You You made a joke with me in it? I I made a joke with you in it to Davida Nemiroff just last week. It was a text. Oh, Do you want to know what the joke was? Sure. The joke was... I feel like Nick Nemiroff is the spiritual child of Davida Nemiroff and Nick Flanagan. (laughs) (laughs) That's so uncomfortable. (laughs) It it made her very uncomfortable. And I was like, am I right? I don't know if you're right. I did eventually get LOL. I I got an LOL. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She's she's, an important figure in our lives. Mm -hmm. Is she? She directed 
your your video for <laughs> is she <laughs> I just feel like we've collaborated with her and stayed at her home and performed at her art gallery. She is she okay. is deeply mm -hmm. she deeply uh, leaves an impression on me as also one of my very dearest best friends. Yeah, she's the best. I mean, she has also I guess done a lot of collaborative work if we're talking about album covers and photos and mm -hmm. this type of thing. Mm -hmm. Um what, do, what, now, for the lay person listening to this podcast, which I've now decided, fine, this is a podcast. I mean, I just want to catch up with you and talk normal, but I guess this is a podcast, too. Um, right, and all the lay people are listening. All 60 people are listening. Is that what you said? All 60 lay people. All the 60 lay people are just listening, laying, peopling. Yeah. No? Yes? Potty podding creating spiritual children so many spiritual children were conceived while listening to my podcast oh my god for sure there's probably one being conceived right now i hope so i can't see every what everyone's doing <laughs> this podcast is our spiritual child <laughs> that's true every that's that is true this is the creation yeah. of you and i and we thanks so much for doing it Oh my gosh, thank you for having me. I, you know, it was like last time it just didn't happen. And then it just, you know, the idea just kind of floated away. And so this time it worked. And it coincided with you having like a record, which is kind of almost cosmic, if you think about it. Pretty cosmic. But, um, or calculated on your part this maybe was, this was a compilation to get on the pod <laughs> you got to get the lay people first you get the lay people then you when get the money people, they never leave you they never <laughs> yeah, leave you that's trump right They're he's like laying down the lay people i got the lay people in the 1980s when i made the board game and now right. they're um at my mercy okay so how do we even begin jenny like what is what what can i say here i can say that i've always been incredibly impressed with your music i've loved it and i've lo look i've talked to you about this for ages because okay. actually even andy lloyd the producer of this podcast i don't know if you know andy yeah. hey andy yeah he was saying you got to ask sarah about Fo uh, sorry jenny about fox the boombox and um Fox the Boombox was like, I don't know, it probably wasn't your first band, was it? Um, yeah, it, it was, was okay. So it was your, your I first, mean, more or less, it really was your first band, um, with uh, three other women, and um, Four. yeah, there was five of us. There were so it was Denise, Amy, Amy, and Lindsay. Yes, that is four other women. There are five of you, and uh, um, I loved it, and I've told you that repeatedly. You put out this one. Um, uh, EP, I guess, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, it was really messy because Lindsay used to be in that group, uh, Black Cat Seventeen. Was that her, or was she in? Mate? What was the the? She was in that group that was like was really lipstick, lipstick. Yeah, li lipstick, lipstick. But um, lipstick, lipstick. But before that, I don't know. Maybe yeah. Black Cat. 17 i don't know but she was in these sort of like pretty messy groups right that mm -hmm. sounded very chaotic and mm -hmm. and then it was not to be this is just my perception so i'm just giving you my perception first and then you're, you you correct it because you know the, the deal here 
And it so so you had this collection of people. Now you probably have been playing music for a long time, just you know, learning and and playing, right? I assume that you've been trained. No. Okay. No. So and I, I came to music pretty late. At that point, I was probably playing for around eight years or so. Uh, that's pretty long because we were all just in our early twenties, you know. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I, I bought a guitar when I was 18. Okay. So yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's later on, I guess. I mean, I don't even know how to play. So, but when I did you start singing? Singing when I was a kid. And, yeah. and then did you always sing in the same, I guess, did you sing in the same fashion that you sing now, you know, or did you, did that like come together? Um, for more together through experience of singing and and i think that uh they say women's vocal cords don't start to mature until they're in their 30s and i don't know whether that's facts i don't know nothing i state on this podcast is necessarily has been double checked as facts same z's that's what andy's going to be doing later fact (laughs) yeah he's the continuity (laughs) guy (laughs) um so I don't know, like I definitely have been singing for sure my whole life, like not trained, but just jamming, singing. But I think that um, I noticed that my voice started to get more dependable in mm. terms of like maybe less musician, less uh, accompaniment being around. And I was, you know, still able to kind of clear paths. So I don't know. Yeah, like. I don't know. I don't know how I sing. I sing like I talk, I feel like, and I've always talked like this. You no, know, that's actually true. And I think that uh, I find uh, that resonates as a statement to me, too. I hear you. And uh, it's. It, I also think it's like kind of in the vein, lyrically, where it's almost like how you talk as well. Like uh, there, there's some... Very conversational. Yeah, there's there, and and you know what what I like about that is there's there's certain artists who that um, like who I think you share that with like I've always thought Amy Winehouse was a bit like that when you listen to her lyrics it's really just mm-hmm. like she's just kind of like talking to you yeah I, w- I wouldn't okay. say I think Joni Mitchell is a secretly not version of that I don't know what's going on with her lyrics yeah she's like I, Joni's like. She's like, how do I appeal to the lay person? Yeah, she's <laughs> like, like, I need lay people, but then I want to throw an opinion in here. She's and- like, I'm a fully genius woman. I'm <laughs> what I need to appeal. Yeah, she's, it sounds conversational because I think in part it really is, but also yeah. it's really wordy and um, incredibly like it. Yeah, It's frenetic, it's, you know, Yeah, it, it has so yeah. much. It's like bursting thoughts, you know? Yeah. And, and when, I, when I think about that, I think that in some ways when you do kind of bursting thought music, just to be able to organize that in that sense, it sort of isn't conversational anymore. And it becomes like um, Bob Dylan, I think is not even that far from that in some of his, his stuff. Mm-hmm. So now we've talked about Bob Dylan, Joni Mitchell, the, the Click, we're done here yeah today <laughs> yesterday was neil young's birthday and i think he's in that conversational mode as well you know a lot of the time with his music like i think he just yep. kind of and dmx i also think dmx is like that for sure the rapper it's just like 
yeah, it's it's like, it, yeah, I, I, I think so. I think, and I think that like conversational style can really, yeah, it's just really subtle. And I, I like, I don't, I know that I'm a singer now because I breathe like a singer maybe, or I have been doing it long enough that I can rely on certain things about my voice, but I hope yeah. that it always just kind of doesn't stray too far from the cold hard fact that I'm often chatting, <laughs> just yeah. chatting via song. And I like that. I like well, that. It's often born out of kind of talking to myself. Yeah. So, do you yeah, talk to that's what I picture it. That's how I picture it too. But, do but you part, talk to yourself? Uh, you know what I do is I mostly talk to like things that can't talk, like animals. You know, like I'll be like, yeah. "How you doing today? You doing yeah. good? Get over here." Uh, I will talk to myself, but I I think that I'm like I really really feed off of like feedback or people <laughs> bouncing off me and I think that's why like talking to myself is like playing a video game or yeah. you know um podcasting I guess I do talk to myself because I do lots of solo episodes of this so yes but yeah, I yeah. and stand up is like talking to yourself in a lot of ways and so yeah. and and lyrics you know like you were yeah. saying it's like that is me talking to myself but a lot of it I'm, you know, I'm sad to say has to do with writing something that I find entertaining and maybe a little bit honest or absurd or silly. And it is with the purpose of making people read it and go, oh, that, that made me pretty happy, mm -hmm. you know. But, but do you do you do you rehearse to yourself? Stand up. Yeah. You know, I wish I had. I've never really done that partly because as you remember when <laughs> you i was first back that would be the one thing you did differently <laughs> <laughs> kind of you know like i think i probably would have taken like more acting classes like more in depth when i was like first starting so that i could like fake confidence in what i was doing right <laughs> a more but i also love you know, no confidence. I, on my Twitter, I can say I'm an anti-confidence advocate. And I think that like people mistake it for humility, but it's not even humility. It's just like, it's, it's just like, why do I need to make a big thing about like what I'm doing? Just mm -hmm. give me the money and let me do it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's how I feel about you. Just give yeah. you the money and let you do it. I mean, I'm hoping that what people walk away from my records is that they know I'm saying, give me the money. And let me do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah. I mean, I get called that too. People will say you're, it's humility or something and for sure, but like, it's just never, I just, yeah, I just don't know what I'd be shouting from the mountaintop. You know, I don't know what I would be shouting about. I just more, I'm, yeah, it's very common. It's all, it all feels very common to me, everything that I'm doing at least. Well, you know, I mean, I don't think it's common at all. And I think that that's like part of, but maybe that is common, you know, like to actually just be doing something and not worrying about it, you know, or worrying about it, obviously, but like not um, trying to say, look at me, like, you know, I'm this, this is like, here's my fedora and I'm going to, yeah. you know, or here's my like 
something you know just showy and uh, this is like a weird it's just such an odd thing entertainment now because i feel like nobody is that a lot of people are not trained in like the vaudeville sense like we didn't come up like mm-hmm. learning with like the toughest crowds in the world like mm-hmm. how to you know win people over necessarily you know mm-hmm. and and um and people have tr- vocal training and all that stuff but a lot of those people now do youtube videos <laughs> where they're just showing they have training you know like it's it they're 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 displaying that so it's like i'm not trying to say we've lost like soul as like a culture because the world is big there's like a billion fucking people and it's got to be more than that 10 billion fucking people and and you know but but it just is um you know it's kind of like the pandemic life right like if you don't have to go out and make money as a server or as a grocery clerk or you don't live alone and you don't so that means you don't have to think about going to patios and having a drink just so you don't go mental you know or in my case like I you know stand up is not something that was like paying all my bills so and I have other means of expressing myself so I don't have to do it you know like I don't have to go out. I don't have to do that. So I don't have to, I don't know. I don't remember what my original point is. You know what I mean? But I don't have to put myself out there in a way that's trying to take a ton of space is what I mean. Right. And I didn't really want to use the word taking space. That was the first word that came to mind when we started this conversation about that. Like, I just think that's an interesting word, but, but I just think people really seem to love you know, your music in a really cool way. I know I value it when your album Pink City, which was really the one uh, that for me, I was able to pay attention to and focus on. And I don't know if that coincides with what you're talking about with your voice. Mm-hmm. Um, does it? Um, or was Castle that, one, that one felt fully chatty. That one felt like I just, yeah, kind of like figured out how to just talk um exactly and and it had all sorts of like arrangements with it but Mm -hmm. I think that or what I hope happened was that um what I'd wanted with that one was it to sound like basically like I was just sitting in a room talking and that anything that was flourish was like a hallucination that I could have been (laughs) having you know and it was like grounded it was like uh, yeah so it was kind of both things you know this this really lay person and then this, you know, desire or wish for all of this, you know, other stuff. And it, so it kind of like hallucinated or cast larger than I was, but it kept, I hope that record kept, kept it close as to the source of just being this kind of really regular scenario with these lush orchestrations and wild, beautiful, vivid musical moments, but that it never eclipsed the, the lay. <laughs> the lay. The lay, if I may. <laughs> may I lay? May I lay? May I, lay? Uh, I mean, just getting back to that style that, that we were talking about, the lyrical stuff or whatever we call it, and the chattiness. Um, I think another benefit of that, especially when the music has like um something dreamlike to it, which sometimes your music does kind of go into, or maybe dreamlike's the wrong word, but you know, um, 
I'm trying to find the right word. It's like a, a quiet that is um, that is then rising, you know, something like this. And I like that. Uh, hmm? You like, I like it? that. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I like it. I like it. And <laughs> um, I think that people can interpret, you know, lyrics that are just kind of on some level talking about a mundane thing, you know, and, and it sets off their brain into like a totally different meaning, you know? And I think that when that goes right, you know, and, and that's why I said, I think Neil Young, for instance, is conversational, you know, because I think that sometimes he'll say, you know, like, I know a man who's, you know, full of lies, you know, got a different story for every set of eyes, you know, but he's like literally talking about some guy, you know, (laughs) but but you hear it and you're like, that's everybody. It's like how old man is about, this guy on his ranch it's not about necessarily his dad it's not necessarily about his son or something you know it's literal and and so there's something interesting to me when the literal literal lyrics kind of bring out symbolism in our brains if that makes sense well i mean i think so too and um or at least i can i hear what you're saying why not use the sort of contents of our absolute most mundane collective experiences, uh, you know, staring into a cup of tea. Like I, I remember thinking, oh, the world is really made up of people all around the world making tea. I mean, it's just different ways of making tea. That's just what people are doing. They're boiling water <laughs> and they're steeping tea. And otherwise I'm done thinking about them. I'm just like beyond that, don't care. You know, why not let those like most fundamental banal experiences of our of our um, lives, that's also the site for our deepest longings and uh, our deepest confusion, like where we bring our confusion is kind of like waiting for things, you know, like yeah. we might mull over what we're confused about or or what we wish was different. But it's always in those scenarios of kind of just really being being stuck as humans. So it's a cool place to start. And, and, and I think that comedians do this, the same thing, which is you, you kind of collapse a few different realms into one realm and, and a, a good punchline always has kind of potentially different meanings. You I, know? you know, I've, I felt that way. Yeah. It always riffs. So there's kind of like a bit of a, you know, I always think po- poetry and co- comedy to be very similar in that they're both language arts. They're both a little bit, or often they're language arts. Um, mm. I shouldn't say that for, um, but lyrical music and lyrical or <laughs> lyrical comedy. comedy. Oh, um, the lyrical comedy that you hear in in Derry. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I've been told that my Irish accent is like um, a crime of some kind. I mean. It's a noble endeavor to perfect the Irish accent. Oh, it so. is a noble endeavor to, to perfect the Irish accent, the Irish accent. Flanagan <laughs> exactly. is my last name to any Irish people listening. I am I mean, on your fuck. side. Fuck. You should know. But yeah, no, it's uh, it works well when it kind of vibrates the mundane, you know, it just it doesn't have to do much more than just vibrate what is what what is seen as completely normal and nothing interesting going on here and if you can vibrate that moment with just like kind of collapsing a few possible things at the same time and like whether it's just a play on words or a possible differentiation whether it's a punchline where somebody was following following you along the story and then they say the the line and you're like 
ah, I'm just slightly confused, but it sticks with you because it's hard to get confused in a simple way. You know, yeah. you need people to come and do it for you and be like, oh, I'm going to poke that. Or I like, mean, this has been a style that I love, uh, you know, and I wonder if it's just, you know, because we've all kind of in a weird way. I mean, it's funny with the two of us, and this is the case with a lot of uh, people from uh the who who are working out of toronto in this sort of scene that i want to get back to when we talk about fox boombox um i think some of our i guess maybe some of our values line up just in terms of like what we want out of mu music or comedy because you know what you're saying is really true like i think like basically what you're doing is defending puns on some level and i really respect that because that's really what this is about i i cannot <laughs> stop doing a pun and the dumber it is and the more frustratingly um like like the fact that people can relate it <laughs> to the original word or phrase but yeah. it's clumsy and it barely works the fact that that is able to be done uh is amazing to me one of my friends said as a critique once to me he said that sometimes you make the audience work harder than it seems like you are <laughs> <laughs> and i don't necessarily on a good day hopefully i'm not doing that but you know i i think that we all need basically consider me a personal trainer for your your brain you know and, yeah. and, uh, and how important because you know it i i'm glad that i work in the abstract art you know but people never think of language as an abstract art they're not trained to they're they're trained to think that language is a precision that the meanings are fixed that, you know, that that everything has to kind of mean this one thing. We get like news and even the internet. People don't mm -hmm. often think of the internet as an abstract platform. It's very abstract, you, you or it's not, but you're choosing which which things to kind of uphold as truths or meaningful and- And, and you're fusing, letting yeah. things kind of like blend into each other, you know, like- yeah. And like when you're reading the New York Times, you don't want to think that that story could have alternate meanings. You want to think that that is the definitive meaning and that you've read something that whether you agree with it or not, you know. And so I think it's important to have that sort of trickster energy as it, for a language obsessed culture. And 2020 has been really interesting and where we've run into the, the the limitations of collective language and how they don't they don't work and how it and and I I'll always think that it's it's good work to destabilize those things a little and and you can do it really really minimally um, and uh, that's why and and that's and that gives just such good relief I think to people when when they when you experience that the pressure gets let out of and or you know you get to have meaning again you get to choose what's meaningful to you you get to you know you're not dictated by the language anymore you know they're mm. not compartments they're just general sound shapes and you know it doesn't have to mean the whole world to you you know or it doesn't have to mean that one thing you can just you can you can create space in there so and that's why we turn on comedy you know when when we're often when people feel 
upset and and they're like okay I'm gonna stay in or I'm gonna go out I just need to laugh like you need somebody to kind of like bring that and I always feel like I'm a clown when I'm performing on my own a little bit where you know I'll say something really you know meaningful and I'll hear somebody that's like ha 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 in the back and I'm like yes there's humor (laughs) of all of this like there's this is funny this is like clowning in a little in a bit of a way like the last thing I want to do is take it so seriously where I'm like this is all true I'm like no this is destabilizing at best it's very interesting because I think there is something about a solo performer where uh it's more in between songs but you know they can really disarm a crowd with with humor and a lot of the time you know people might not think again not to bring up Bob Dylan as being like you know, but but he is pretty funny, and in his own way, and and then uh, actually, I mean, he is such an odd person in a lot of ways that like he is funny, and mm-hmm. um, now Joni, maybe I bet she's really funny in her own kitchen. I think she's funny. I just think that she's, um, I just think she's on another. I honestly think if we're talking about Canadian songwriters and their influence, I think that you really can't get much bigger than Joni Mitchell and Gordon Lightfoot. It sounds trite to say, but I don't know. Like I hear that stuff and I'm just like, okay, this is like with Gordon Lightfoot, it feels like it's someone who is making some kind of a songbook, you know, that is just, you can't do anything, you know, but yeah. Like he was like, yeah. Like he was like, yeah, may, he he's like he, okay. Here's all these types of songs now that are like now existent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like, hey, did you know that I can make a song about like a fairly contemporary disaster, but I'll make it sound like it happened 400 years ago. Yeah. You know, like like Edmund Fitzgerald, I didn't even know was about a somewhat like something that happened contemporaneously with the song being written. Right. Wow. <laughs> you know, like yeah. I was like, I oh. Think- I think Buffy's a really influential songwriter because she oh, writes totally. songs that other people, as in terms of Canadian, she writes songs. I yeah, she's Canadian. Um, oh yeah, yeah. I'm reading her autobiography or her biography right now. Buffy Simmery. Uh, she is amazing. I mean, I do. I would include her in that. Like she can do things with songs where yeah, they're uh-huh. very like uh, they're very insidious. They just kind of like slip in and. Um, people can cover them and they can go on to be grand, huge pop songs, or you can identify them with other artists. Like she's very chameleonic that way. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and I appreciate that. I'm tuned into her right now. Cause I am reading this book. Oh, uh, I should read a, that book. I mean, I remember the Polaris prize when, um, was it pink city that was nominated? Uh, mm-hmm. Pink city got nominated for this sort of Polaris yeah. prize. If you're listening outside of Canada, yeah. it's like the, mercury prize or something but in canada and it it highlights some great artists most of the time every year mm-hmm. you know and uh you were nominated and buffy saint marie won it that year so she won all of, your, Buffmeister. All, of your friends, all of our friends we were like well we wanted jenny to win but i guess buffy saint marie is I mean, can't be mad that she's winning even i was like this would be nothing short of awkward if anybody and, else yeah. won and she's also, I mean, admittedly, she kind of deserved like a lifetime achievement award or so like there should be like a separate award for someone like Buffy. There is there is an argument that like a category that has like Jennifer Castle, Buffy St. Marie and Drake in it yeah. maybe shouldn't yeah. be the same category because yeah. like I know who's winning what here, you know, like 
um, but that being said, um, I, I interviewed her, uh, I was, I was there doing interviews and I interviewed her and I couldn't believe her energy. It was incredible. I mean, she was probably 71, 72 at the time she had pink, like kind of multicolored, uh, highlights in her hair. And she was so vibrant and youthful Mm -hmm. and friendly Mm-hmm. And it made me embarrassed that I didn't, didn't know her music better at the mm-hmm. time. But yeah, I mean, what is that really big song that she wrote in the early 80s? I think it was a theme for a movie. We just found out that it was the other day. Um, like, Love Lift Us Up Where We Belong? Yeah. Yeah, that one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would have never known that was a Buffy Sam Marie song. Yeah, until, I know. you know, um, and... and uh, I think she did. I, I don't even think it was covered. I think she sang it for whatever movie it was. Like it was like a single, but you know, because I just relate her to universal soldier. I know it sounds silly, but like protest yeah. songs or like really being kind of, and, and of course, like what she did with her voice, which I think does kind of, I see the same vocal inflection sometimes in your work. Like how I, mean, how- I, I discovered Buffy because I was living in, England when I was 19 where I started Mm -hmm. to perform in folk clubs uh I hadn't ever performed in Canada I started to perform over there and somebody slipped me like a Buffy tape and was like that's way better than like a." I was like no and they're like you should listen to her and I think that I've always I think what people have been talking to is kind of like the vibrato within our voices yes um and uh that's how I discovered her was through somebody listening to me saying you should check out Buffy and I then I did at 19 and was like oh wow she's Canadian and this insane control over something a resource like she has like an incredible control over like a wild resource of her voice yeah yeah and you know that's always interesting to me you hear about this often where people who sometimes bring out in their voice um, reminders to people of other artists and you find out that they didn't necessarily know that artist, you know, uh, yeah. like, like Emily Mover was on the podcast and, and uh, I mentioned Karen, Karen Dalton to her because mm-hmm. I think that there's a similar, and she was like, yeah, I hadn't heard Karen Dalton until I was like, like 20, you know, and I was yeah. like, okay, that's crazy. Yeah. You know? And so. Yeah. Uh, they do have a, they do have a similar, similar voicing. Yeah. And, and um, uh, Oh, there's so many things. So why were you in England? Yeah, I just kind of went there after high school. I went, I went to Europe and I, I, I couldn't really stay at home um, after high school. Um, there wasn't really a, you know, it was just sort of like time to go after high school, really. Um, Do you have a lot of siblings? No, you have. I, I have Sarah. two sisters, but what? Yeah, Sarah's ten years younger than me, and we were sharing a room when I was eighteen, and you know that 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 at around eighteen that gets a little bit old. As much as I, you know, right. bless Sarah, but I was like, we're, I'm done high school. It's obviously time to yeah. push off. We're in a little apartment with. You my can't mom. take my diary. Yeah, like I had a I had a blanket strung between like her half of the room and my half of the room and she has really sweet memories we didn't always live like that but we had really downsized uh and lived in this apartment and, Why is that? Uh, uh just through like sep- uh, family separation and different reasons hmm. um we weren't uh 
definitely in those years, that was just, that was a loving, uh, affectionate, uh, nourishing apartment that my mom had for us. Um, but it was small and it mm -hmm. was just my mom and my older sister had already had a son at, when she was quite young and she was living in her own apartment. And so we were living in an apartment surrounded by old folks in a little uh, city of Orangeville, Ontario. In this apartment, it was like just, you know, just silvered people, old, old, old folk. <laughs> Silver folk. And I would go down to the laundry room and play guitar in the basement at mm -hmm. night quietly as I could so nobody would wake up but I my old my little sister has memories of me kind of coming in the room and she'd kind of say through the blanket like what's going on and I'd just be like shh you know just keep keep sleeping but I was you know as soon as high school was done it was like I'm not gonna I'm not I wasn't gonna stick around I so I left and I went to um Europe and traveled around Europe for a bit saved my money uh saved around 1500 bucks and traveled around Europe and I landed in England and I had, I have an uncle in England and I was supposed to come home after around four or five months of traveling and uh, come home and like, I don't know, try to go to school or something, but I was there and I, my friends that I, that I were with, they, we were taking the subway to uh, the, Gatwick airport and on the subway I asked them do you guys have any money left and they were like yeah and I was like give me the money I'm not getting on the plane and they left gave me the money and I took the tube back into London got a job in a pub that I lived above and you know had a year there really that was the first room you know of my adult life that I had that was like my room again and I started to perform music like I, nobody that I went to high school with or even my family never knew me as a musician. They didn't know that I was a musician because I did. It wasn't until I left and went to Europe that I said, like when I went to Europe, my friends were like, what's why are you bringing a guitar? And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm teaching myself how to play guitar. And they're like, we're going, you know, backpacking in Europe and you're bringing a guitar like right. you're supposed to pack light. You're going to have and to bring a big backpack. Yeah. And I was like, no, I'm going to bring <laughs> yeah. all this stuff. It is kind of a jetpack when you have it like <laughs> yeah. a guitar. <laughs> like Mary Hazmat. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it was like pre-segue, but I floated. <laughs> but yeah, go on. Um, so, so, so they were confused, uh, but you'd had what, what kind of was inspiring you you told me that you know you'd been singing since you were a kid and were you doing that in choir and stuff or uh were you hearing music that was inspiring you to do something were you um I playing mean, I, trying to I, sing I to drive your sister out of the room when you were 18 yeah <laughs> no like i i was in choir when i was a kid not notes I, i've never known how to read music but i was in like the public school choir for sure when I was a little girl. Um, I was a really, 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 really passionate, young, nerdy, uh, at that point, took myself very seriously as a poet. And um, so I really thought that that was kind of what I wanted to be doing at that point. But one day in Orangeville, I, I don't know, I just kind of was walking around this uh, antique shop and saw a little guitar and, and uh, it was 60 bucks and I borrowed the money from the restaurant that I was working at and I bought this guitar and I don't know why I bought the guitar I just bought it and I had always wanted to play it and people had tried to teach it to me but I could never learn um, 
but I just kind of bought it anyway on that little on that afternoon I don't I don't know why I bought it but I had written a song on it the night I bought it and my friend I had my friend sit down and teach me a few chords and that's when I went started to go to my laundry room in my mom's apartment and just really like basically as soon as I bought it I became like obsessed with playing it um so all my spare time I just would play and that I'm I mean I must have just have turned 18 and then I then I left for Europe you know that the March I graduated from high school maybe this summer and then there was a fall and winter and I left for Europe that March and I took it so really I'd only been playing for like five months or something um, but I took it the same thing when I was in Europe just kept practicing 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 and the first time I performed in England um, was spoken word poetry and uh, which is just so cute and yeah I did some spoken word poetry which I'm sure was really really uh, moody and um, I had a friend that told the owner of the club that he should ask me to sing a song because that I, I actually also played guitar. And so he said, I heard you play guitar. Why don't you bring your guitar next time? And I was, I mean, I was petrified, but I, I brought, I played a few songs and, and really I got good feedback from people like some old folk, folky people were just like, you should do that again. And he gave me another slot the next week. And a Butterfield. Yeah. where <laughs> was paul butterfield blues band there and they told you they liked it Donna? No, man. <laughs> but it was like you know it was a vibe it was like i bet it was real british folkies in this old like folk cellar from the i wish i could have seen it it was so like it was so cute now in retrospect i'm like it's so sweet that's such a cute sweet beginning because i would it, it was like being in manhattan or something i mean i would take the double decker mm. bus from the pub and right down yeah. into the heart of leicester square and you know it felt very romantic and i would play these songs and i think really the first time i played songs in front of people i don't think i i've never performed poetry again <laughs> <laughs> or have you or have a maybe I'm sneaking it in there from time to time, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I abruptly changed and became a lyricist and uh, that has kind of been the trajectory since. Well, so do you have a recording by the way of that first show? No, God, uh, thank God. I know nothing from those times. I know the songs. I had them all handwritten. Uh, I haven't played many of them. I do have, I have a friend who did teach me a few chords on the guitar when I first bought the guitar um, that he recorded when I came back from Europe. There was around four or five songs that he's got that original recording that I'd love to hear. I'm sure it's so cheesy, but I mean, in many ways, I think, man, I'd love to hear what those recordings were like. Mm -hmm. like I would definitely like to. Yeah, they're folky. They're really, really folky. And uh yeah. And then, yeah, then I just kind of, I mean, then I just kind of rolled around for many years doing that thing. And then it wasn't until like Fox the Boombox time where I had come back to Toronto and just had all this musical um, desire. Right. And how much later was that? Was that like five years later? Four years yeah, later? like five years later. Yeah. And, and at that time, this was, again, we're getting into the thing where I, my framing of discovering Fox the Boombox was um, what Lindsay was doing was like a, in her past bands was like a prototype in a sense for this thing that had started that was very odd to me because I was in the punk scene and comedy. So I was a little adjacent yeah. to this kind of indie rock, arty, 
scene that was happening. Yeah. And that scene, which was kind of very large and had a lot of different corners to it, was centered in some ways around Wavelength, which was like the, the weekly show that was happening. But as always, the Transac was always a big part of it. The Australian Social Club, where you and I have probably both performed a bunch, mm -hmm. um, is very, and has for a long time been very open to experimental or new artists uh, or, or like little spoken of long time artists, like say Bob Snyder or Scott B, like, yeah. Yeah. you know, um, many more. Uh, so, so anyway, uh, and somehow the, that world started uh, a bunch of kids who didn't really know how to play maybe were semiotics students <laughs> you know and college students who could intellectualize what they were doing yeah. created something called bad band revolution in some sense that right. knows what it was called and it was like essentially a bunch of bands that like quote didn't know what they were doing and were just yeah. like accidentally creating great sounds and Fox the Boombox was probably my favorite. I, I I don't know. Like, was that your, like, I didn't even think of you guys as that. Like anything that I like isn't, I don't tend to then include it in a movement, if that makes any sense, beyond the movement That's in my sure. brain of what I like. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, so we, were, we were part of that. We were sketching around that scene for sure. I mean, we were hanging out at the Cloak and Dagger and um, <laughs> we didn't have a band. We just were meeting through a shared house um, would that happen to be Borden Street? Borden. That yeah. was where I lived too. Yeah. What a little, yeah. what a I little know. hub. Ballant who lived there. He was a huge yeah. talent. Craig, yeah. Craig Dunsmere is yeah. a super unique guy who's done really yeah. interesting music. Uh, yeah. Heather Goodchild obviously is like a yeah. huge artist. Davita lived there. I mean, yeah. you you lived there. Uh, Tyler Clark Burke, another interesting person, you know, lived there and. Yeah. Did all the members of Fox the Boombox at some point live in 50 Warden? Um, not all of them, but four of us did at one point. And Denise, the drummer, I knew from before that period of time uh, through her then boyfriend, Mark Sasso, who's in the band, the Roots band, Elliot Brood. Mm. And him and I would often be at open mics together at like Free Times Cafe and Holy Joe's and all of these places, graffitis. And, Holy um, Joe's way at the top of the cathedral uh, uh, bop structure. Not the cool levels. No. They're like, keep going up. They'd Tiny see room park, way like, at the top. Yeah. yeah. People were like grooving. They'd be like, you're Long gone. Up. Yeah, and uh, Denise, I think we, we were drinking at the Cloak and Dagger on Thursdays, and um, she, we just, you know, she had never played music, and we're like, okay, you're the drummer, you yeah. know, and it was a very much like kind of based on how inexperienced we were, and Lindsay, mm -hmm. of course, had the experience of being in her band, so she had the the confidence of saying no this is music yeah <laughs> and yeah. i had um almost fun like fundamental folk folk skills on the guitar mm -hmm. and um and also just sort of my inherent song structures were already you know around so yeah we just yeah we we made all sorts of cacophonous noise and people would i remember some of the condensing things that people said to us was you know like music 
people that like know everything about music, they would be like, you know, you guys are doing, you guys are doing something, but you don't know that you're doing it, but it's really really cool that you're doing it as if like being, you know, having a felt musical experience is like somehow ignorant than, you know, having a <laughs> being experience. able to channel people's interests yeah. is somehow yeah, this like, thing. You don't know what you're doing, even yeah. though you're four women with brains yeah. and on some level experience. I mean, this was what killed me about that scene was this over intellectualizing. And I think that that when that came into play and look, that's a product of an active brain. So I'm not going to hate on it too much, no, but for sure. But I think that what that means is people are explaining a lot of the time what their music is and then suddenly explain to you what what you're doing is sometimes. And it's putting it in a box that's unnecessary. And Fox the Boombox, I liked it because there were songs on that album and they sounded mm -hmm. cool and they reminded me of like Toby Vale Bikini Kill songs or oh. they were just busy in a way that I that resonated mm -hmm. with me because I liked loud music and Hmm. I, I don't even know which are the songs, you know, because because there was, I think, a little bit of a narrative when that was happening. It's like, oh, yeah, Jenny is like the one who really, really knows what she's doing in this band. But then I found out like a lot of songs I liked were like Amy L's songs. Oh, my you God. Know? And, and so yeah, like, I, I wasn't like a chief writer in that band in any stretch. Like and I didn't want to be like that was like an opportunity for me to like not hold the song down necessarily because I'd I'd come to music through my songs mm -hmm. so like I always had to kind of be playing my song if I was playing music you know because I didn't really have so Fox Boombox was the first sort of collective musical experience I had where they uh -huh. were yeah like Amy L songs Amy G's songs like right. I think she wrote uh Beyonce yeah which is cool like song. yeah and um and yeah, I mean, we we just we felt that our songs were very good. We I felt the same way. <laughs> and that was like to me, that was like the one release. It was on Blocks. Blocks was right. Okay. Blo blocks was like Blocks. Blocks. Blocks was the big kind of label that was at the forefront of that. Steve Cato uh kind of remember when he had like a bit of a a buzz because of his cover of Hey Yeah. Oh yeah! Hold on one sec. Can you hold this thought? Because my of dog barking. Of course, party. of course. Oh yeah, Steve Cato in the Hey Yeah. Was that with Barcelona Pavilion? I think it was just solo. Just Steve Cato. I mean, yeah. Plus. That was cool. Another guy who moved to LA. How about that? <laughs> it happens to the best of us. I mean, okay. it never happened. But... I got. I got it. Well, you spent enough time there. I got to move into albums again because I, you were talking about the collective experience. And I, I always thought that was like even Pink City had some element of that where it felt like suddenly, you know, like you had like really kind of got this team together and it sounded like this team effort that was still very much you and it was an album that i read as being about toronto and also that i thought your experience there that is and and also i feel like specifically the street of dupont in ossington am i right or wrong because it was about the skyline or something um, crazy? did i invent yeah, that 
I mean, Dupont and Ossington, there is a convenience store. The cover of the of the record was taken at the convenience store there. Okay, that's why. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And like on the cover of that record, my sister took it. I I said it was the last shot on the roll of film. And I said, okay, I'm gonna run into this convenience store and ask the guy if we can take a picture in here. And he so she's outside. I run in. I say, hey, he's in the back and I'm trying on a pair of shades while I'm waiting for him. And she snaps the photo of me and I'm trying on these shades. And he came, the convenience store owner came out and I'm like, hey, can we take a picture in here? And he was like, no, <laughs> and we left. And the one picture we got is the one that it took. But yeah, um, yeah, that record was very much about a time and place in Toronto and really much like about, I mean, hopefully, it is felt beyond its geographical um, birthplace, but I was born in Toronto and um, I, the Pink City to me, well, what, what, that, what that had meant to me at the time was, I remember when I was a kid coming back into Toronto because my dad lived in Etobicoke and coming down Highway 10 from Orangeville and then turning the gardener at sunset it kind of takes a natural left-hand turn and then you face head on drive into Toronto. And if it's at around 530 or around the time the sun sets, the entire city at the time, the skyline's really changed. But mm -hmm. my memory of is this pink glass sort of supernatural fantasy city that you're driving head onto as off the gardener. And that oh. was always kind of like the pink city to me was like sunset glass reflections. And I, in pink city, the song, it says all the sun on your glass. Um, because that was really like my, my pink city. Oh, that's, you know, another uh, beautiful uh, driving related thing in the city, is, driving and highway related thing in the city is in the fall. If you're driving um, through Rosedale and then, on the Bayview extension now, and then onto the DVP, and then through Don Mills, the fall, the autumnal things that you're seeing, or from the gardener mm -hmm. uh, onto the DVP um, and Bayview, it, like mm -hmm. is just, it's amazing. It's mm -hmm. beautiful. And it's, yeah. it's like, you obviously if your dad was in Etobicoke and you were coming in from Orangeville, you had a positive of being able to see the, um, extremities of the city especially back then i mean etobicoke wasn't even part of of the gta as we call it and um i'm just exploring that now in the last four years and uh or two years and it's so refreshing it's so nice just seeing all the pretty stuff and because the city is just you know every american that comes here winds up plunking down, you know, like Anthony Bourdain or, or um, my friends, if they have to do TV work or something here, they put them, you know, by the water, which is beautiful, but it's not, you know, like, it's like yeah. just below the financial district. It really does feel like, I don't know, yeah. Chicago or mixed mm -hmm. with like wall street, you know, you know how yeah. Chicago at the bottom has like that water. Oh. Yeah. Oh, I mean, Chicago, I don't know Chicago well enough, but I know that Toronto really screwed up its uh, waterfront situation with its city because mm -hmm. it prioritized the highways. Um, mm -hmm. So you can't actually, it's very challenging to walk to the water in Toronto. And dense hot yeah. housing, a mixture of like dense condo housing. Yeah, like now, yeah, it's really just, yeah, you, you kind of walk through these non-pedestrian zones. And so, yeah, they'll plunk people close to the water, but really it's 
you're really far away from any of the vibrancy of Toronto. Toronto for me is, I mean, I love the water. Don't get me wrong. And I lived on Toronto Island for many years. That's my favorite song of yours. I love the water. Don't get me wrong. I love the water. Do not get me, get wrong. me wrong. One split second. I live by the water right now. Yeah. Um, but, and then I, one of my favorite shows that I saw you do in Los Angeles was, um, well, I guess I've seen a few of your shows, but, and they've all been great, but the one that was at um, a house in Glendale where you played piano for it and you were playing all the songs from Angels of Death. Yeah, that was at Sari Lightman's house. Sorry, Lightman's house. Yeah, uh, part of the Tassiomancy twins. Bless, bless them forever. Bless them. And uh, that was interesting to me i mean you were talking about conversational but that album at least some of the songs i felt were it wasn't like necessarily different from the conversational thing you're talking about but it was kind of like addressing inspiration and poetry that was what i read it because it was about muses and and Mm -hmm. such you know so uh i mean what's the deal with angels of death tell me about it well, yeah, Angels of Death was kind of like, I mean, I always talk about death or it's such a huge, obvious, interesting, like conundrum of like, it's it, it's the thing that makes taking anything very seriously impossible for me uh, in that it's always like the wild card. So I think that I did need to address it creatively and I wanted to turn and di- address it directly because I also think that the fear of death is like basically capitalists hold on us. And so I don't know how else to like kick the patriarchy in the nuts, so to speak with, uh, without just being like, what if we weren't afraid? Like, what if, what if there wasn't like this fear that had been instilled in us? And if we could just kind of like, you know, what if we didn't have to consume so much and be so distracted? So I just wanted to like, kind of put my attention to that for one minute. Um, Also, in that I felt like if I got to focus on that for a minute, then, and really hold that in the center place, then maybe it would free up my peripheral vision because instead of, I would put other things in the center place, but the entire periphery would be like death, 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 death. (laughs) And I'd be like, no, I'm trying to talk about, you know, autumn or something. And it would be like death. So So it's like death, death, death. Yeah. I'm like, okay, death, death, death. And then what, what ended up in the periphery was writing and the muses and immortality and, you know, all of these other things. And I was like, oh, this is so cool that um, once I started to write that way. So then I just was kind of like, okay, it was a very insular experience where I felt like with that record, I just kind of crossed my T's and dotted my I's specifically about that subject. And was while I was writing it, I was like, and at the end of it, I need to come away with no death, like no death for you. Like we don't Mm. die, you know, we we solve this Grim Reaper bullshit. You know, no one knocks at your door and takes you away from anything. Like you're still unified. You're still, you know, you know, you can still access people that are gone. You know, I just kind of really wanted, probably just for myself, I just really wanted to make that attempt. And I like, I like, again, it, it harkens back to that kind of like very serious young, you know, kid that, t- you know, was like, this is a topic that I'd like to. to right. To I want to figure out death. 
Yeah. And so yeah. I just, but you know, through music and like I had fun, it was fun for me to write that, but I just want, I don't think I could go forward without really a, a paying attention to it because it had been calling me to talk because it, because it was just so present in everything that I was writing about that. I just thought well, I'm going to just name it and then move forward. Was loss present? Like, had there been like, phys- like phys- people lost in that period of time to you or like it kind of interests me that this was a okay so so that was so it was like almost if not a coping mechanism you know cathartic or yeah I mean I wasn't heavily grieving a person at the moment I I had actually the I have what kind of catapulted me writing that record was the loss of my dog oh but that's huge which is huge in a way, and it is huge. No, no disrespect, but I mean, I, I mean, I went into like mourning, mm-hmm. you know, and then you know, but no, as you know, when you lose a pet, nobody they're like, why, why are you dressed all in black? I mean, you're like, right, you need, yeah. you're expected to keep going to go on. So it was, yeah. it was almost like I, I was inhabiting two places at once. I was deeply mourning, you know. A, why a, are you wearing sunglasses? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but at the same time. I was like, I knew that I had to, I wasn't crippled. I've been crippled with grief before. Sure. Um, at the loss of, you know, my father. And, yeah. and there's pe- there's been people I've lost that have felt like Same there was here. no way I could have, yeah, I could have, I couldn't write a record about it. Well, cause you know? you're I mean, sleeping, but you're not sleeping because people's yeah. voices are resonating in your brain and you yeah. know, like it's, it's, it's crazy, so you know, yeah. it's very visceral. And it's, I find it to be a years long process sometimes oh my gosh like yeah i don't know if i'm weak or just in a good position but it's like i don't know why people would expect you for years to even do anything after certain close losses you know i know especially the first ones you know that you experience cuts they're the deepest Mm -hmm. and i don't even know if that's true i'm sure the last cuts are also really bad (laughs) who wrote the first cuts the deepest you know who wrote that song do you remember who is that like are you saying that song was maybe not accurate <laughs> first cuts the deepest like, is that about where cat stevens? get cat stevens on the line the first cut does suck but is it the yeah. deepest that's all i'm saying I um i don't know i just was consumed with the idea of i was experiencing the philosophy and the idea and the and and the feelings of loss but i still had my my uh, ability to get up and, and talk about it. So while it was so close to me, while it was like I could taste it, I, but I was still totally functioning, I wanted to write my way through that. I wanted to write from that place. And, and, and literally I'd lost my dog and I was recording that record and finishing the writing within a few months. Mm-hmm. And it's not about the loss of a dog, <laughs> um, but it's just that that was a close enough experience while I was still high functioning. That is so interesting. The idea of something that brings up the huge feelings, but doesn't sort of knock you down to the point of dysfunction and that being a very good point to create. I think that's just fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah, I had to tell people while I was doing press for that record, like I did not write a record about my dog dying, <laughs> I assure you, but it was like a catapult. Not that I couldn't write a song about my dog dying or a record, but that right. I more just, the, there was heavy flavoring of grief in my food and I was just <laughs> describing it, you know, more, more or less. 
Hope you're enjoying my talk with Jennifer Castle. Thank you for listening. There will be more in a moment, but first I will tell you, I don't just do interview episodes. Once a week, I pretty much put out put out one. It's, it's pretty regular. Uh, and, and that's all, of course, thanks to the, my producer, Andy Lloyd. But I really try to also put out several slightly more bite-sized solo episodes. At least one a week, often two, sometimes three. And I hope you like those. They're pretty fun. People tell me they love um, just having a short, almost uh, rel- relatively, um, what do you call it? Relatively often podcast to kind of just listen to and think about and and it's a way i've i've been supported by like people like strangers and like old friends living all over just saying you know it stuff resonates with them uh and right now travel not being able to travel is just really great to know that you're kind of having this if one-sided conversation with your friends so hi to any of my friends who are listening and to everyone else and my friends <laughs> If you want to help keep this podcast afloat, just go to uh, www.co-fi.com slash Nick Flanagan. That's ko-fi.com slash Nick Flanagan. You can do a one-time or monthly donation. You can also go to patreon.com slash Nick Flanagan. Every time I do this, I say, look, I'm going to ramp up the Patreon content soon, and I swear it's true. So either one of those, if you donate, you will get access uh, to certain things that only those, only you lucky people will get access to. You can also go to nickflanagan.bandcamp.com if you want to buy my album Wiped Privilege. Anyway, uh, if you don't have to spend a dime either, you you don't even need to do anything. You just listen and go to bed or get out of bed and then just go on with your day but if you do feel like you want to support but you don't want to spend money you can subscribe tell a friend like tweet about it you know do something you don't have to do something i'm just saying like honestly i kind of i could use more more listeners it would be really nice and uh yeah i don't know find a way to put a bug in people's ear uh review rate subscribe all that good stuff anyway that's the pitch support if you can just listening right now is a lot of support anyway so i appreciate that and now back to my talk with jennifer castle so okay monarch season let me talk to you i have not listened to it enough but i did manage to finally i think probably part of why i wanted to get a hold of you it was like this will force me to like throw on Jenny's records, which I always love, you know, like I always check for you, but for some reason, you know, the way things work right now, you know, there's no release party. There's no, you know, it's just like a tweet and a few people tweeting. Oh, she has a new record and it's on Day Feeks, right? Yeah. Which is your bachelor's. Yeah. And is that, that's a long time label for you? Uh, yeah, yeah. I've had three Canadian labels. I've had Blue Fog, uh, Flemish Eye, and Idefix. Yeah. Hip labels for sure. Blabels. Blabels. And <laughs> did you write Monarch Season, you know, during this time period, or has it been a, a couple of a couple years in the sort of making? I heard something about you kind of writing the record, you know, 
pretty uh pretty solo like uh in late 2018 is that accurate or what is going um, on yeah I, yeah i recorded it last summer mm. and i guess i had kind of written it parts of it throughout the several years before that but nothing was i wasn't performing any of the songs um they weren't kind of shined up to be songs. They were more in parts. So mm -hmm. I, I, I finished it uh, the week before I recorded it and mm -hmm. I didn't finish it. I, I mean, I wrote some of it even while I was just doing the takes. They're, they're pretty improvised. That's really cool. I mean, and, and was it a large um, live uh, group? Or was it like a lot of, it sounds like it's a whole record. I mean, I, I really enjoyed it. And I really enjoyed that you started with an instrumental, right? The first yeah. song was an instrumental. Mm -hmm. What? Uh, yeah, no, it was just me. And it was just me and uh, Jeff. He came to my house. Jeff and, McMurray. Uh, yeah. Of and, uh, Geeks Records. Yeah. So it was just, just him and I. So you mean he engineered and recorded it? Basically, yeah, and co-produced it with me. Yep, I just kind of asked him to come and bring a light rig to mm -hmm. my house, and we kind of made the date just probably a week before we made it. And I was like, I I'll be ready if you're ready, and just come and we'll see what happens. And he came for just overnight. He came and we recorded through the afternoon, the evening, and then the morning, and then he left. Wow, that's. Um, I mean, I, I went to Toronto and recorded the piano pieces because mm. my piano was just not happening. It wasn't working, so it just sounded terrible. I have an electric piano at home, um, and then there was no sort of tuned pianos around here that I could access. So we did the bulk of the recording in the kitchen, and then I went to his studio to do the piano songs. And you mentioned earlier when I was trying to cajole you into playing a song live that you haven't picked up a guitar in ages. Does this mean you've no. mostly been doing piano stuff? No, I, I mean, I haven't been playing tons of music. Um, no, I, I'm thinking about that I should definitely pick up the guitar, but what a weird experience to release music and not really be playing lots of music because usually when I'm releasing music, I'm really proficient at playing because I've probably been playing a lot or rehearsing or once like where I was when before the pandemic sta started or stopped. Did mm. the pandemic start or stop? It did both. Um, the world was the, the civilization beforehand was the pandemic. I know, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, the shows I played for last solstice shows, uh, I often do shows around winter solstice. So last mm. December I played, I was ripping on guitar and, uh, vocals, but like in terms of just like my reach and my breathing and, 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 you know, had been playing so much guitar for two years, uh, touring angels of death that I felt really confident. And now, I mean, I have to just get back up and running, but my son was here. He, cause school didn't got canceled in March and course, yeah. he's been, you know, here. And I don't usually, I don't, I'm not like jamming while he's, you know, playing Fortnite. You know, so but what's his name? I'll play against him. He is. Um, uh, he was. Rapid... No, should I say it? I'm like, let's, let's, we might have some. 
he might have. That's like, I don't trust my fan base with PlayStation network username access. Let me tell you what he was, which is my favorite one of his names was Uh he used to be rapid Turkey 56. That's amazing. Which is just like, I love Fortnite names so hard. um, I'm Mr. Jicky boy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Fortnite's fun. Text, Text me that so I can get, get, let him know. Okay. That's so funny. I'll be, like, I'll be like, that's my friend. My my major Fortnite era was like coming back from LA, feeling drained and, and sad and just being holed up, being like, I'm going to try Fortnite. And then being bad at it for like three or four months and then getting acceptable at it. And then I still throw it on every once in a while. I think it's cool. Yeah, he loves it. I mean, he's allowed to play on the weekends, Good. not during the weekdays. He Or or we because we fight a lot about how much he wants to play. But um. Yeah, man, he's been here. Like he just went back to school in September. So I've been I've been with him like full time. I didn't have one of the pandemics where people were like, I'm so isolated. I was on a desert island, but with my son. So he was it was like him and I. How old is he now? He just turned twelve. Wow. So I wasn't I wasn't jamming. It wasn't because I really make music while he's at school that's that really is the time like he leaves at nine and I start playing and I really do keep kind of a some kind of idea of studio hours and I just because you don't really get handed the time with a kid Mm -hmm. so I just definitely 100% used the time so that that was gone and it's been interesting it's been interesting because the pandemic has reminded me that life goes on even when you lose things that you feel are you know, really important, like time on my own to the creative process. So I kind of was writing more, um, just like, like just in my books or writing more, like just without music. And I'm only starting to creep back into playing music. Then I released Monarch Season and I haven't been playing very much. So uh, I have to play again. I have to pick up my guitar and start playing at home. It's a beautiful record. And I think, you know, to put it out now, you know, to, to have that ability to put out an album that might help people feel, frankly, distracted, relaxed, hopeful, whatever it is that music they like makes them feel. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully they like it. Um, you know, is... Like one more thing bad about 2020 was... Okay, Jennifer. I heard Jennifer's Castle's album and that was... That the was like, straw that broke the camel's back is just here. <laughs> I'm sure lots of people had that reaction. I doubt it. I doubt it. It's it's. I think anyone at least who follows your work is probably pretty happy with it. You know. I mean, have I you been think, happy with the response? I haven't really followed the response. Are you getting good response I mean, for it? I don't know what the response can be at a time like this. I mean, it was. It's like that. My the people that listen and that have been listening are listening and Mm. they're letting me know they're listening. And it's, it's very chill. It's, 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 you know, it, I miss my merch table. I I miss my merch table. Your wallet misses your merch table. Yeah. I mean, I really miss my merch table, but I miss that you, you know, you play a show, you have all the energy, you exchange the energy of the room and then you're there to sell people your record and, or talk, to people and it really confirms that what happened is happening like whatever the music connective is. piece yeah and so i really have no idea if anybody's listening other unless they tell me i don't know and um 
I, but I thought, you know, there was lots of talk about whether this was the time to release a record, um, whether it was the social political time to release a record, and obviously very aware of whether I'm taking up space for somebody else that ought to have, you know, the, the platform and, and I'm really sensitive to that. So the, the, really the encapsulation of the gesture was just to share and not to necessarily reach or try to grow, but to just share what I had while I'm sitting on it. And maybe if it finds you, it finds you. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. I think that is so cool. Uh, like, you know, I was having a conversation with my friend the other day and we were both dubious about the live performance of stand-up by those who, especially by those who like, I know for a fact it's not a living or they can make money anyway, some other way. Uh, because I think in a large city gathering crowds, even outdoors, I don't understand why you're doing that. And that's fine. They, everyone has reasons for doing what they do as we talked about at the beginning of this. But, um, I said, you know, like, is now the time to distract people from like a time of profound choices, potentially, <laughs> you know, like profound change, profound choice, focusing on, as you said, that life goes on even when we don't have what we had, which is such a, a learning uh there's such a learning curve to that. I don't know if you can ever truly learn that, you know, but we're being forced to at least accept it on some level, except a lot of people are not accepting it. You're even in a safe, well, you're in a safe place, but the truth is that your ability to tour, your ability to play live, all this stuff that you would do to present what you have to get that connectivity, the merch table and stage connectivity uh, going, it's gone, you know, and, and, and for, for myself as well. And, um, I mean, the, yeah, it's gone. It's sad. It's sad. But as Joe Pesci said in The Iron Man, the Iron Man, <laughs> the Irish <laughs> Man. <laughs> the Iron Man. <laughs> um, I am Iron Man. No, uh, it, you know, it, it's what it is. And, and I think, yeah, That's like, my motto of the year. So this is this is interesting that you would bring this up through Joe Pesci. Yeah, who deserved, I believed, an Oscar for his performance in the Irishman in the Ironman. Um, I don't know. Do you want to just like finish up by telling me like things about Monarch Season in terms of like what the songs were about? Why it's I I know why. I mean, I get a sense why it's named that. You have a title track that explains mm -hmm. Monarch mm -hmm. Season and how you feel about. Well, as much as I'd say that, you know, the talking point for a press has, you know, the, in the same way Angels of Death wasn't about a dog dying, I assure you the record isn't about butterflies, <laughs> but it is, you know, but I do, I, I have to hang meaning somewhere. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I, you know, natural metaphors are so rich for me, but, you know, I hope that you know that I know that you know that I know that you know that I know that we're not talking necessarily just about how nice butterflies look when they flap their wings. Mm -hmm. um, but, but, um, but sometimes that's just it. But sometimes there's also that level and that's, you know, where your punchline is. It's like, what is it going to mean to you? Is it mm -hmm. if you're, are, because I, because I can actually go on about how beautiful something is in nature, but I, I, 
you know, and so you just, you, you have to just constantly be working on different realms and hopefully collapse them into one thing, whether it's a song or, or a punchline and it can mean a lot of things. And that's the work, the kind of work that we do. But um, yeah, with uh, Monarch Season, yeah, Monarch Season was kind of like, I was running really busy and I was being a really busy person and I was performing a lot and, you know, had, you know, lots of social activity. And, uh, and then I was quietly concerned with um, that perhaps I was, you know, it, perhaps there was a heart, a great heartbreak that I was feeling. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that, you know, I was working really fast and busy through a lot of things, but that if I just got quiet enough and, and did something without tam tampering or, or arranging it too much, that if I just kind of like put myself in front of a microphone and said, okay, I want to see what all these, these songs come out as, that it surprised me when I heard them that I said, this is a very kind of romantic feeling. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, even in a solitary sense in the way, you know, I was listening to a lot of um, like, I was listening to some Hawaiian music and I was listening to some like Italian music and mm. I was listening to, you know, the sort of heartbreak of like Fado music where you just have these singular singers. Um, and the, the, I hadn't written anything that was super concerned with heartbreak and yet I, I was experiencing it. So yeah. I, I just wrote about it and it's short and sweet and I didn't, I just did that on my own. And, and that was kind of how that had to happen. I think that uh, <clears throat> the type of person that I am will ruminate something over, over and over and over. And I mm -hmm. did, I wanted to kind of release it at a raw place and not ruminate it and make, you know, so they just, that's kind of the way they came out. Um, and I spend a lot of time alone or alone-ish with my mm -hmm. son, but I, I, right now I'm living in this little cabin by the lake mm -hmm. and I do hear the waves all the time because Great. I live on the shore and I do see the moon every night when it's out. And I do, um, and I wanted to kind of create music that, because that's what it sounds like when I play guitar and play harmonica. So I just was like, why don't I just record the, the kind of music I make when I'm alone and I'm not, you know, I didn't drive to Toronto to make it with the band or I didn't, you know, go around to sing it in front of people. It's just like what it sounds like when I'm at home. Mm -hmm. So, and also just because I, because I do stand behind my merch table and I'm always the one that works my merch table. Uh, people often come up to me, whether it's, we just ripped with the band or if I'm away touring in the States or in Europe on my own, people say, what, what is the record where you just did that? Just did what you just did if I'm solo. And I never have that record. I'm always like, well, Angels of Death is like with seven people and it's really good, but there's some quieter stuff. And then Pink City, it's like I'm alone, but then there's lots of music and there's strings and you really like that. But then this, but now I feel like if somebody says, what's the record that where, you know, it's just like when you stand and play solo, then now I'll have that record. And, and I think about that in terms of like a co collecting records. I never... I, I never think a record I make is supposed to be a linear expression of where I'm at or what, you know, this is where I'm going is this new direction of my music. It's me thinking, okay, if you're going to have like a handful of records, what are the records you have to make? And it's like, okay, this was Monarch Season was the record 
the, this acoustic record I had to make. And, right. you know, I, I know that I want that in my collection of records and, and it wasn't there. Next is live at Budokan or Hammersmith. I mean, here, we, I can't wait. Like, yeah. yeah, it's like next is next. It kind of like crosses it off just like angels of death. You know, I'm like, okay, I don't have to do that now. Then so, there's the one where it's like, uh, you, you know, barbershop quartet. Oh, that's next. <laughs> Coming up. What kind of what song would be your ideal song to play for this podcast? Because yes. people, because people have been listening for like fifteen hours. <laughs> we have been talking for almost two hours. What, but it's been the best. I've song, loved it. What song will they li- listen sit through? Um, off Monarch season. <laughs> What's the only song they'll like? What's the only? Let's say someone hates the album. If they were gonna like a song, what song would that be? If they hate the album. <laughs> Um, I don't know. Uh, maybe play, uh, you could play the instrumental. That's cool. Or oh you could God. play NYC because that, you know, that's the Sidious song on it. And that, All right. maybe and, we'll uh, play both. Yeah. Maybe we'll play both. Just maybe. Well, Jennifer and Castle. I'm so glad we got to talk, Nick. Thank you. Thank you so much um, oh my for doing you. this. Thank I you took for so much of your me. time up. Come back so anytime. Awesome. <laughs> ask for come visit me on the island maybe i will have fun and please say hi to that beautiful place for me oh my god it's the best and it's nice to see you and so nice to see you it's nice it to connect a- and chat yeah yeah you know? really you know i always wish you the best so same same Thank you for showing interest in my life and for honoring me with this uh coveted podcast spot mm-hmm you're very welcome. Yeah. Here, I'm going to clap down and we can just start talking like normal people. And that was me and Jenny Castle having a convo. Loved it. Had so much fun doing it. Honestly, just great to catch up with uh, someone I don't get to see that often and talk about the amazing stuff she does and her awesome music and uh, why it exists and how she learned to do what she does. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope uh, you learned some stuff and uh, or that it helped you fall asleep. I don't know. Either way, check out jennifercastlemusic.com. Uh, J-N-F-R-C-A-S-T-L. I think that's her on Twitter. And uh, I think she's Castle Music or just Jennifer Castle on Instagram. But be sure to check out Monarch Season, her new album, and listen to NYC by Jennifer Castle right now. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.